There we go. All right. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, Christ is risen. Amen? Amen. Hey, we don't just celebrate that last week, right? I need that reminder every single week that uh, Jesus is alive and that the gospel is real, and that compels us toward loving Christ, toward serving Christ. And so we are not just an Easter people, right? We are a gospel, Christ is risen people every single week. Amen? And so Christ is risen. Amen? Amen. I'm excited to start this new sermon series with y'all. We are diving into this idea of relationships and what does the resurrection of Christ have to do with our relationships at large? What does it mean uh, for us to walk in relational intimacy, not just with one another, uh, but also with God and also support each other uh, as we think about relationships at large? And so the hope, the desire is that this will guide us toward greater relational health as individuals, and also collectively as a body at large. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Uh, For example, next week we're doing a sermon on singleness, and the temptation will be for the married person to go, I'm so glad the single person has a sermon for them. Right? And then to kind of check out a little bit, you know what I mean? Because you hope that you ain't never single again. Uh, And so uh, we will, I know, that was, I know. Like three people caught it, and it was like, oh, that's not good. Right? We're going to be tackling each stage and kind of where we're at in that stage. And so what does that mean for us as individuals, particularly if we are in that stage uh, as a a group of people? However, what I don't want us to do is kind of check out and to say, oh, like that's not, uh, this stage isn't for me. I'm not the the married person. I don't really have kids. But we need to learn how to support each other as a family, like what Josh just said, within whatever stage we may be in. You tracking with me? And so, for example, your boy's a parent, right? And oftentimes, uh, the single people do not invite me to things because they're like, he got a whole basketball team, he ain't coming, (laughs) all right? And while they may be right, I do have like a mini basketball team and I probably ain't coming, I still want to be invited because I want to be in your life and I want you in my life. And so even just really practical, simple things like that will really help us uh, think about how do we love each other well? What does it look like to actually carry out the gospel in each other uh, and in the relationships that God has given us? And so this is what we're going to be tackling throughout the sermon series. So uh, don't check out just because you may not be actively involved. I want you to think about, man, how can I bless my community, the family around me as well? And hopefully this series will kind of guide us toward greater relational health holistically. Amen? That's our prayer. Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start on the idea of relationships today. And so you can turn to... 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you do not have a Bible, the ushers will be coming forward now. Uh, and if you need one, please raise your hand and they would love to give you one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, I would actually really encourage you just to raise your hand and just like get a free Bible so you ain't spending 12 bucks on Amazon, all right? Uh, because we would love for you to have the word. It's our gift to you. We want you to be able to use it during the week. Uh, you can also follow along on your phone if you want. The instructions are there on the screen. And so all the notes and the scriptures will be there if you follow that. Uh, I say this every time. Uh, because we really mean it. We want your eyes on the Word. Uh, the Word is our authority, and we know that God speaks to us through His Word. And oftentimes, even in the middle of a sermon, He will begin to communicate things to us through His Scriptures that uh, enlighten our heart, that illuminate our eyes, that guide us toward certain paths. Specifically, when we're thinking about something as broad as relationships, the Holy Spirit may start speaking to you through the Word. So we want you to follow along with us, all right? So we're looking at uh, relationships overall. 
overall, and the main idea uh, that I want us to take away, I'm going to say right up front. And so if your attention span is not 30 minutes long, that's okay. All right, this is what we want you to think about, is that you were created to have covenant intimacy with God and covenant intimacy with each other. This is extremely simple. In fact, if you've been in church for like more than a month, you probably kind of have an understanding of that. However, I don't want it to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. But I want us to actually ask ourselves the question, do we have covenant intimacy with our God? And do we have, are we pursuing, are we thinking about covenant intimacy with one another? This is vital to our life and to our existence. In fact, we don't even need the scriptures to even point that out. Even without the word of God, all this secular research and studies are coming in, kind of showing us that relationships are vital to our existence. They're saying what the scriptures have said for the past 8,000 years. And so, for example, a study from the University of Utah, it tracked 308,000 people. That's a great sample size, BT-dub, all right? And so uh, they found out that people with good relationships are 50% less likely to die early. Stated in the negative, maybe a better way for our brains to comprehend it, that having bad relationships or no relationships are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You want that hipster, hipster life, right? And so uh, there's a bunch of other stats that's on there, but probably the most significant one is that Americans actually feel three times more lonely today than they did just 20 years ago, just two decades ago. Most mental health problems are linked to having really poor relationships growing up or poor relationships in the present condition that you may be in. So relationships are a huge deal. And so put away your phone and get with some peeps, amen? Like, God's army doesn't enlist privates. You are not meant to thrive by yourself. You are meant to thrive as you find relationship with one another. And so this is important for us to begin to wrestle through because the scriptures actually, they yell that out to us as well. Relationships, they help us come alive because uh, you come alive when you begin to look like and think like and act like your God. And our God is a relational God. He actually exists most naturally in relationship with himself. And so as we come alive, as we flourish, that happens because we are mimicking God in whose image we were created in. In fact, you don't have to turn here. It'll be on the screen. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then verse 27, it says, so God created man in his image. Uh, he, the image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see God in relationship right from the jump. Let us, it says there. And so God is either interacting with his heavenly counsel or he's interacting with himself because we see relationship with God most clearly defined in the uh, doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if you're not familiar with that word, if you're not a churchgoer, that's okay. Let me give you a 30,000 foot view. We believe as Christians that there is one God, but that he exists in three persons, Any other explanation outside of that begins to kind of short-circuit my brain, so I'm going to leave it right there, all right? It's like the spinning wheel of death on the Mac, okay? And so it's a mystery beyond mysteries, but we believe that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they live in perfect relational harmony with one another from eternity past into eternity future. They have relationship with each other, each one honoring and giving to one another, our God in his very 
very existence is a relational God. And so when he created you in his image and in his likeness, then of course we will come alive when we also begin to have relationship with God and with others because we begin to act like him, image bearers, as we were created. This is what God wants for us. This is why you feel a grating against your soul, friends, when you begin to have relational discord because you were not created for that. You were created for beautiful unity both with God and with man. And as you begin to fracture that in one way or another, you can feel it literally rubbing against your soul in a way. Maybe to think about it in the positive, you probably feel most alive when you are pursuing God and active in his mission, and usually when you're pursuing that with others. Probably some of your sweetest moments in life came when you were uh, intimately close with other people, friends, or a husband or a wife, or kids, or whatever it may be. When you are thinking about the relationships that God has given you, this is when you come alive. And you come alive when they're healthy, when they're beautiful, and yet we often don't walk like this. Just after Genesis chapter 1, in the garden, we see Adam and Eve sort of rebelling against God. And in their rebellion, they fractured not just their relationship with God, but also their relationship with each other. And so deep down in each of our hearts, we long for this sort of relational intimacy with God and with others. And deep down, we also know that we do not have either of those to the extent that we desire. And whether we say that actively or we say that passively with our actions, we know that there is more to be had and what usually that is found in is in relationship with one another. Relationships are vital to our very existence. I mean, you've seen Castaway, right? (laughs) You ain't got no humans, you start screaming at a volleyball, right? Or I am legend, you start talking to mannequins, right? And so scripture is obsessed with helping us uh, learn how we can regain intimacy with God and intimacy with one another because this is what it means to be alive, to be like God, is to have relationship with him and with others. Now, a lot of our sermons are focused on how we regain this relationship with God. And in fact, the past three weeks, that was the very thing we were talking about. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on our vertical relationship with God today. If you miss a couple of weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it's important for us to have a relationship with God. But I do want to preface it before we talk about each other in saying that, man, you need a relationship with God to truly have the depth that your soul longs for, for relationship with others as well. Because God himself is literally love, the scripture says. And so if you want to love the way that God wants you to love, then you need to have relationship with God so that his love pours through you, that you may extend that to others and even know how to receive that from others, pure and beautiful love like God has created. So if you do not have intimacy with God, it's impossible to have intimacy with one another. You need relationship with God. This is vital to us connecting with one another. And what happens is, is that as we love God, it actually catapults us and it compels us to love our neighbor that much more. And then as we love our neighbor that much more, it actually uh, reminds us of our love for God. They work in unison with one another. One is not separate from the other because loving our neighbor is genuinely a direct way to love our God. And so our relationships with each other are actually a very good depiction of our relationship with God. Because if we uh, cannot stay consistent with each other who we can see, then what makes us think we're going to be consistent with our God who we can't see? 
No amens there? I'm, I'm in that, right? I'm in that. If we are not faithful following through with one another, then how are we going to be faithful with our God? If we mistreat or are cold to one another, then what makes us think that we have fire in our heart for God that might be false fire that's actually just pride? And so this is important. Earthly relationships are in a lot of ways practiced for our intimacy with God. It helps us walk in that. This is why Jesus says when you give a cold cup of water, right, to the least of these, you're you're giving it to me, he says, because this is his creation. He loves his creation. And so as you are acting in harmony and blessing his creation, you are directly blessing your God. Intimacy with God helps us have intimacy with one another. And as we bless each other, it helps connect us to God. In fact, this is what the whole book of 1 John says. You can't say you love God and not love your brother and sister. You don't love God, is what John would tell us. This is powerful, right? And yet, in order to love God, you have to love your brother and sister. It's a natural compelling. And so that makes me just begin to think about, man, do we really see like relationships in this lens? Like, like how costly are relationships to you? Like thinking about it just from a practical standpoint, how much would you pay to have uh, relationships that are deep, that are beautiful, that are good? Makes me think like, man, is it really worth like taking 3000 extra dollars a year, but to move and to break all the relationships that God may have been forming around you? You know, like, is it really worth having like 150 extra square feet, but breaking relationship because you live so far away and nobody trying to drive up there to see you? <laughs> All right. I ain't talking about anybody in particular, by the way. All right. I ain't got no beef with none of y'all, okay? But, like, it makes sense. And listen, that's not bad. Like, yes, God may be calling you to another city. God may be calling you to a church plant. God may be calling you into a different neighborhood. So by no means am I saying, man, you can't do that. But, like, like how much are relationships actually for you? Are you willing to kind of even bend so that you can maintain relationships? Because I would contend that this is one of the most costly things, And when God gives us and he blesses us with relationships, man, we should long to maintain and to keep that with all of us. This should be what we hope for. And so do you have depth like this with God and with each other? And so relationships, the unity within relationships is one of the main themes throughout the scriptures. And as I was thinking about the relational harmony of scriptures at large, one story kind of stood out in particular. It's the story that we're going to look at today. And so I want to spend the rest of our time here as you're turning to 1 Samuel 18. This is the story of King David and his friend Jonathan. King David may be, if you're not familiar with the with the scriptures with who he is, the greatest king in human history. David, in chapter 17, has just beat Goliath, and so his fame is kind of beginning to spread. And so the current king, who's King Saul, can kind of feel this tide shifting a little bit, that Saul is about to get ousted, and that David might eventually take his place. Now Saul had an old, uh, the oldest son, his name was Jonathan, and Jonathan was, because of how that culture works, next, next in line for kingship. Jonathan was the one that was going to take over the throne. And so in a lot of ways, David was actually a big threat, not just to King Saul, but even to Jonathan himself. And David could usurp Jonathan and sort of take the throne in his place. And so there's actually a little bit of possible animosity that we could be walking in on. But here's how the scripture actually begins to describe it for us. First Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. It says, as soon as he, David, finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. You were created to have a covenant relationship with God and with others. And while this is, friends, very beautifully expressed in marriage, you don't need a marriage to experience the sort of covenantal harmony that you were created for. I needed at least nine single people to say amen to that. All right? Like, look at you don't have to be married to experience the sort of depth that your soul longs for. It could be found in friendship, too. It could be found in other forms of relationship. Your soul, it longs for, it needs a covenant with God. It is desperate for that covenant with your king, but it's also desperate for covenant with others. And this can be expressed, it can come alive even in friendship. And here's what we see Jonathan actually doing with David here. He's taking a covenant and he's beginning to initiate the covenant. The covenant here between Jonathan and David is being initiated. Now a covenant, okay, is very, very simply at the highest level when you cling to someone or something and give yourself away for the sake of that person or that thing. You talking with that? A covenant is when you cling to someone or something and you give yourself away for that person or for that thing. This is why we don't call it membership at the well. We call it covenant community because we say we're going to cling together and give ourselves away for the sake of each other. Our team and our staff team, we have something that we call a team covenant and we will abide by it. We will cling to it. It is designed to help us give ourselves away to others. A few weeks ago, we looked at uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, the scripture says. Jonathan loves David as his own soul, that text tells us. Jonathan literally loves his neighbor as himself, in some ways loves his neighbor even more than himself. Jonathan, in a lot of ways, loves like the way that Christ loves, because Jonathan is willing to step away from the throne and to give it to somebody else, and he takes off his garments and gives it to David, literally saying, I want you to be king in my place place. I believe in you. He is acting very Christ-like here, literally loving David even more than he loves his own position or status. And so this is a massive thing. It's a sacrificial sort of love. This was the beginning of a friendship that was deep, that was beautiful. Listen, uh, Jonathan was about 30 years older than David too. So it doesn't even have to look like the same life stage. Like some of my best friends are significantly older than I am. And yet there's depth there because of what is surrounded around. And so really deep relationships, y'all, they form when there's a centering around something bigger than oneself. That's a really important thing I don't want you to miss. That relationships form when there's a centering around something that is actually bigger than yourself. So this unity here is really important. Here's what's happening, right? God is trying to establish Israel as a nation here. And David had just beaten Goliath. And so the idea is, is that David is beginning to kind of destroy God's enemies that will allow them to exist as a nation and begin to raise up and bless the nations around them. And this is what David's soul longed for was the glory of God to radiate out of Israel. But this is also what Jonathan longed for. And so more than he longed for his own status or his own position, he longed for the glory of God. And so they were centering around something that was bigger than themselves. You track him? Yeah? We, we good? We good? All right. Come on. All right. I'm about to preach like an extra 40 minutes if y'all don't talk back a little bit. So 
All right? So they have a foundation, right? And it's dive, driving this depth. And they have the deepest foundation, which is God. Listen to me, friends. If you have passion and zeal and intimacy with God and you find others that have the same thing, this will drive your relational depth like an anchor a thousand feet beneath the surface. It will not sway you because you are being rooted on the very firm foundation, Jesus Christ, that will not move. See, all of our hobbies or our other interests, those things may shift around, right? Like, I really like hooping, right? That's, that's playing basketball, in case y'all don't know what that is, all right? Yep. I was ready to give another joke, some of y'all know, all right? So, I really like that, right? But when I'm 50, okay, like, I, I ain't gonna be able to hoop no more. And so, if all of my relationships, right, are surrounded around, like, playing basketball, at some point, that's gonna be taken away from me. Y'all are like, you can still hoop when you're 50. No, I wanna be good, y'all, all right? So, I ain't hating on any of y'all, all right? I'm just saying, okay? And so, right, there's the hobbies. They might fade or fail. If you're, like, really loving this band, listen, that band ain't going to be together forever. They're going to break up, all right? If you really love this TV show, it's going to end. If you surround your relationships around something like a hobby or interest, those things may fade. But if your relationship is firmly rooted on Christ, Christ does not move. And so the chances of you having a deep, deep relationship uh, exponentially amplify because you're building it on the right foundation, And so this is what God is calling. And so this is what Jonathan and David began to do. They were building it on the glory of the Lord, on the glory of Yahweh, the King of Israel. Now, as time goes on, opposition begins to come up in their relationship because Saul, Jonathan's dad, he hates David and he tried to kill him multiple times. And Jonathan continued to try to uh, encourage his dad and say, don't kill him. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? But no, instead, Saul was jealous of David and kept, killing, or ch- kept trying to kill him, throwing spears at him, trying to pin him against a wall. And Jonathan would come and say, hey, why, why are you doing this, right? Why are, you, why are you trying to kill David? Don't do this. But it didn't matter how many times Jonathan did that, right? He still got jealous. <laughs> My, my wife, my wife, the moment she gets most embarrassed, I can talk about a story, whatever, is when I sing on stage, right? She literally just put her head down, like, gosh, how'd I marry this dude? All right? And so, I don't know, y'all. Y'all pray for me, okay? But opposition began to try to divide this relationship. Hey, listen, family, for real, right? This is, if this is one of the things you were designed for is relationships, then of course your relationships are going to be attacked, Because you have an enemy that hates you, that does not want your joy, that is not for your good, and if you come alive most clearly when you are in relational harmony with one another, then of course Satan's going to attack your relationships. And of course, the deeper that relationship is supposed to be, like a a marriage or parenting, of course he's trying to drive a wedge in between that because he does not want your joy. And so opposition, it will come up. Are you willing to fight through it, friends? This is why we say all the time, you do not find community, you fight for community. You don't just find it and stumble upon it and kind of hope that it exists. You have to be willing to fight for community because if you're not fighting for community, somebody else is fighting against it in your life and he will rob you of it, friends. 
Your own flesh and your own pride wants to jump up and consider yourself better than others around you, and it will try to drive a wedge in relationship. You have to be willing to fight and to lay down your life to find community with people around you. It's not just found, it's fought for, and busyness and pride and everything else will try to cripple your relationships. You have to be ready and willing to fight for them. And this is exactly what Jonathan does. Even though opposition is coming up, even though it's starting to get kind of a little bit, you know, uh, there's a lot of turmoil that's happening there, he's still willing to fight. And so if you fast forward to chapter 20, verse 14, it says this. Jonathan's talking to David, and he says, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love. That Hebrew word is hesed. That's relationship. It's the type of love that God has with us, a covenantal love. Show me a steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. What we see here is the covenant being defined and confirmed. Is defined, this is what it's going to look like. And then the covenant is confirmed. This is what we're going to do with that. That's the next slide there. And so this is an important piece here because this is what uh, is happening. Promises are made on both sides of the fence. Do you have friendships like this? Is this what the friends in your life, do they look like this? Has your marriage been built on this? Is your marriage built on an eternal promise that cannot fade, an eternal covenant, or is it just built on conditional temporary promises? Is it really for better or for worse? Are you really willing to fight with the people around you, even when you begin to disagree with them a little bit? Are you willing to dive in because you see relationships as that important? Right? Unity is one of the main themes throughout the whole New Testament. And it, Scripture screams at us to have that. Are you fighting like this? Well, Jonathan is, and David is. Well, Jonathan would eventually go on and actually get killed in battle. And not only would Jonathan die, but so would King Saul, King Saul's other sons, and also the 70 closest people that are related to Saul, either from dying in battle or on vengeance being taken out by Saul's enemies. So you would think that this promise would actually fade because, hello, Jonathan's dead, all right? And so David has no real reason in a way to maintain that covenant that was just held because everybody in the household is dead. Well, David is established as king over Israel, and eventually, after many years, he finally uh, gets up on his throne. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, you actually see one of the first things that David does when he is firmly established as a king. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is remembering the covenant, is the next idea here. He's remembering this covenant. Even though that friendship had been lost through death, David is still acting in covenant faithfulness. See, Jonathan was loyal and ready to give up his own kingship for the sake of David because they were realizing that God was at work on David's life and they cared more about the glory of God than their own glory or fame. So they were willing to lay it down. But David's actually returning and doing the same thing here. He's saying, hey, is anybody still linked to King Saul? This is actually a dangerous request. 
blessed because if one of Saul's sons or one of his grandsons are in line, uh, they actually have the, 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 the lineage, the king lineage, where they should kind of be taking the throne. And so David is kind of uh, doing something that's a little bit dangerous. What he's showing us is that maintaining relationships is actually really, really costly. Are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to pay the cost, even of your own self at times, that you may have this intimacy with others? And so David was, and he was asking, man, is there somebody else? And so then they said, well, actually there is. There's one of the grandsons of Saul, one of Jonathan's sons, Mephibosheth. And so he goes down to verse uh, 7. It says this, And David said to him, Mephibosheth, do not fear, for I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, uh, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Here what we see is David is fulfilling the promise. The covenant is fulfilled. And in a lot of ways, friends, in our relationship, these are the two things that we have to go back to over and over and over again, remembering the covenant, fulfilling it. Then it might get broken. So we remember it again and we fulfill it again. And we continue to act in that so that our relationships, they kind of drive depth. Now, I want you to note and notice something here, okay? Even though uh, when both parties are pursuing the covenant, that kind of creates the greatest harmony and the greatest uh, relational intimacy it actually doesn't take both parties to fulfill a covenant for there to be beauty or depth in a relationship because Jonathan is dead. He literally can't fulfill it. You tracking with that? You following that? Right? Literally, uh, relationships work best when there are two people that are active in pursuing this covenant relationship, but you don't even need two people. You need somebody that's willing to act in that covenant because, hello, we were not very faithful in our covenant with God, and yet because of his faithfulness, we stand in here and worship today. And so in the same way, he then begins to call us to be like him, where even when another person begins to fail on their end of the covenant, maybe through death or maybe through their own sin or rebellion, we can still actually maintain this sort of covenant faithfulness if we are willing to lay down our life for the sake of somebody else. True friendship, marriage, any other relationship uh, that we're going to cover in this series, it is actually vital that we believe this truth. Because as is here in David's uh, case, in order to actively walk in relationships, it often means fulfilling it at your own expense. It often means fulfilling it at your own expense. Are you willing to pay the cost that it is to have relationships? Relationships are costly, and you often have to go out of your way to both find them and then to fight for them and then to maintain them. And it's a costly, costly thing. Jonathan was willing to pay the cost of his own kingship. David's doing the exact same thing here. And this is what drove that depth. They knew that they had that with one another. But in order for relationships to thrive, you have to be willing to lay down your life, friends. And this is extremely hard in our consumeristic culture where everything says to us, what does this do for me? That's the world that we live in. What does this do for me? I don't really like the way they're doing this. I don't really like this part of this. I don't, I don't really dig the way they're thinking about this in marriage. What does this do for me? And we turn to a consumeristic culture. However, in order for relationships to flourish, the real question that we should be asking is, what can I give to them? Not what can this do for me, but what can I give to them? 
This is what it looks like to act like God because God wasn't looking at you and saying, man, what can that person give to me? Because the answer is nothing. He's perfect. He's holy. He needs none of us. Yet he was looking at us and saying, man, what can I give to them? How can I pour out my grace, my love, my compassion to them? And then as he does that, he is glorified and we actually do bring him glory, but we bring him glory because we're displaying how unbelievably gracious he is as he gives to us, expecting nothing in return. This is unbelievable. Are we willing to act like Jesus like this? Because I don't know about y'all, but that's really far, right? That's really, really hard to do. And so David is about to do this. The idea of laying down your life for the sake of others is foundational to every other sermon we'll do in this series and to every other relationship at large because this is what it takes, friends, to have depth and intimacy. You have to be willing to lay down your life. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pay the costs? When you enter into a relationship ready to give, though, friends, you're acting like God, Because God enters into a relationship with you, man, ready to give. The whole kingdom, actually. He's the greater Jonathan, in a way, that's displaying the beauty of what it means to lay down his life, take off his robes, move out of his position, and give them to you, that you may be brought in. This is unbelievable. And so, are we willing to pay it that high? The story ends like this, in verses 11 uh, through 13. It says, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. It was actually really important. Because this is David once again showing he's willing to do whatever it takes, even at his own expense. Think about it in a military culture. There are oftentimes uh, other, you know, ambassadors or foreign generals or foreign kings and queens that would come and they would eat at the table with King David and with King David's sons. And they didn't live in a culture that was very inclusive of people who may have been outcasts or outsiders. They often pushed them away because it was a sign of weakness. And so for these foreign kings to be coming in and to look and to realize there was somebody who was lame and crippled eating at the table would have actually been a stain on David's kingship, but David was not thinking about himself, but rather thinking about this covenant that he made with Jonathan, literally willing to sort of set his pride or set his status aside for the sake of his friend. This is unreal. Are you willing to do that? Is this how you're fighting for relationships? In your marriage, in in your parenting, when you're so angry at your kids because they're not giving something to you, is, is that what it's supposed to be? Are you supposed to be giving to them? Do you see sex like this, as we'll talk about soon, where there's this covenant that should be defined and held in the sacred unity, but even that isn't about receiving, but it's about giving to somebody else. This is what it means to have relationship. David doesn't care what he looks like because he's thinking about the covenant with Jonathan. And think about the legacy that this created. Jonathan starts a covenant with David, who kind of continues it with Mephibosheth. And uh, King Solomon is sitting there at the table, who will end up going and writing Proverbs 
Proverbs and talking about all these Proverbs on friendship because he probably saw one of the greatest examples in scriptures. Of course he knew what it looked like because Jonathan and David were carrying it out. Think about the legacy this created. This is what God wants for our relationships. And praise God, family, that we know how to live like this because we see this example most clearly in our Savior Jesus. Because God created a covenant with us before the foundation of the world, and yet we failed to uphold our end of the covenant. But God was not pursuing us as a consumer, friends. God was willing to give himself and all of himself to us. And Jesus really is the greater David here. Because we're kind of like Mephibosheth. Jesus says, hey, I'm willing to give up my position that I may bring you to my table. And our response should be, why would you look at a dead dog such as Tori, such as us? Because really, we're crippled in both legs spiritually. We don't have anything to offer the king. And yet, the king isn't concerned with that because he's willing to keep this covenant he created. And he's willing to give himself up that he may bring you in. And one day, if you believe in Jesus, then you will eat at the marriage supper, at the table of the Lamb of God forever in eternity. Because he bought you to come into that. This is unbelievable. Jesus is the greater David showing an even greater covenant faithfulness to bring people in like us who do not deserve to be sitting at the king's table. And yet we're in if we believe. This is unbelievable, friends. Jesus is our example of what it means to have a covenant, to give of himself, to empty himself for our sake. And then he calls us to live like him and to carry out that example. And so now we have our example in Christ. Do you have this sort of relationship with God? Because if you do, you can begin to dwell on that truth. And as you dwell on that truth, it will compel and catapult you to love one another in the same way. Just as Jesus has loved you, now you're willing to love others in that same way. We were created for this sort of intimacy. And so the gospel would would, would tell us, hey, make big promises and and, and like keep them. Like like till death do you part. Gosh, y'all mean that. Like... Like, fight, even if the other person isn't willing to fight. Man, you fight. You maintain this sort of relationship. This is when you are acting most like God. And if you are doing this, friends, because you are acting like God, you will be empowered by God to carry that out as long as you seek him in the midst of that. You will come alive in that. And this is what God is calling you into. So stick with it. Like, make these covenants. This means laying down your life for someone else, just like Jesus did for you. Don't just find community. Fight for community. This is why we push community groups or, or to be in relationships or shoot, y'all. Just stay after, like, five minutes after church today and talk to, like, three other people so that you can have some semblance of relationship because your soul longs for it and you come alive when you have it, friends. We need each other. I don't care how much of an introvert you are. You need each other. (laughs) This is what God is calling us toward. And yes, it is costly. Yes, it is scary. But it is a sacrifice that when you are willing to pay that, man, the dividends pay out a hundredfold, y'all. When you're willing to give yourself away, man, it pours out. So don't quit on your relationships, friendships, in your singleness, in your marriages. Just because it gets hard doesn't mean that it's not worth fighting for, y'all. It's worth fighting for. Do you believe this? Because you were hard for God God to love, and yet he loved you anyway. He fought for you. And so just because somebody else is hard to love doesn't mean you don't fight for them. Like a hallelujah or something, right? (laughs) Because, hello, I need that. Because sometimes your boy is hard to love, right? Because I'd be acting ratchet in this joint. (laughs) 
and yet y'all decide to love me anyway. And real talk, man, sometimes y'all are hard to love because y'all be acting ratchet too. Don't, don't trip, right? And yet, listen, this is what we're supposed to do is to forgive one another and to fight for unity and to love each other. Is this what we are thinking about? Could you imagine what a church would look like if we were willing to do that over and over and over again? Could you imagine what your marriage would look like if you both pursued this hard, what your parenting would look like, that even if those rebellious, sinful kids never said, I love you, you could still give yourself to them and you would look like Jesus as a parent, right? And it would be a reflection to the world around you. This is what God is calling us to. And so what can you do even this week to walk in that sort of covenant faithfulness? It's hard. I know it. I feel the weight in the room, right? It's hard to forgive like that, to love like that, to walk like this. But this is what the gospel calls us to. Is it scary? Yes, it's scary, but it's worth it. And so I pray that we would be a church that genuinely does that, that has covenant relationships with the king of the universe and with each other, and that they would grow deeper and deeper and deeper, no matter our stage of life or what happens to our life, that we would fight for our joy. I'm excited to walk through the rest of the series, and I'm excited to look at how we can practically do that in each of the life stages that God may have us in right now. I love you guys, and I say that as an act of a covenant in a way. I don't say that every week tritely. I love you. I want you to love me. I want you to love each other, because I need you, and you need me, And we need each other to fight for each other for the glory of God and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would even right now show us who it is that we should be pursuing in this sort of covenant relationship. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you show us who we need to pursue like this? Gosh, you said to love our enemies. We can for sure love our body our wife, our kids. So I pray you would speak to us. God, I pray for those who may not know you, they may not have this covenant relationship with you. Man, I pray that today they would decide to give their life to you as you gave your life for them. That today they would say, God, I want this relationship with you. I want to walk in this sort of intimacy. God, I want what you have to offer Friends, if you want a relationship with God, man, it is offered to you through Jesus. If you confess with your mouth and say, Jesus, I want to believe in you, I want to follow you, you believe in your heart, man, you will be saved. That's scary. That takes a sacrifice, a laying down of the life, a laying down of the pride, but it is worth it. So God, I pray that all of us would see that, that we would all walk in this sort of unity and that we would be a church that highlights the beauty of who you are for the glory of your name, Jesus. We pray this in your precious name, amen.